0: We're going to pick up where we left off last week, and I want to go ahead and um, want to acknowledge something for some folks, uh, either in the congregation or, or watching online as we dig in here. We continue in our series on marriage. And for some of us, um, we understand a series on marriage is absolutely critical. It's necessary. It's important to what we're trying to accomplish as a church uh, because marriages are difficult, and we want to— we, we <laughs> We want to honor God with our marriages but, but I also know there's some folks that are thinking You know what, like, like that's more of an individual thing It's not necessarily a collective church thing And I, I just want to encourage you Like I get that perhaps you're here and you're not married Not married yet Not planning on being married um, or, or that you're widowed Or that you're, you're watching and you're like My marriage is awesome, please stay out of it I don't need help Listen, I get it um, but, but here's the thing Our marriages matter, they matter to God, and and they matter for a really big reason. One of the things we have to understand, and why it's so critically important that we talk about these things as a body, right, is because we need to collectively understand what God has intended our marriage to be, what God has intended um, our marriage to tell a watching world, what God has intended our marriages to represent, and that includes all of us. Whether you individually um, are married or not, like, as a church, that includes all of us. And so we need to understand these things, and we need to dig in. And this is one of the ways that we continue to be the body to one another. Right? We, we read last week that in Genesis, God creates man, and He says, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. So He causes him to, to fall into this deep sleep. We said this, is a re- this isn't mythological. This is real. This is factual. He causes man— Uh, to fall into a sleep. He takes the rib, and he forms the woman, um, and and he brings the woman to the man, and he says, at last, this one is just right for me. See, what's happening in this is is God isn't creating a buddy for Adam, somebody that's just like him that he can hang out with, right? Friends are awesome, but that's not what God's doing for Adam. God isn't creating a buddy. God is creating this other for him that's supposed to, to, to complete who he is, that's supposed to provide satisfaction, that's supposed to be this, this mate, where when they are together, they most fully represent the image of God. And when they're together, they complete each other. And here's what this means. This means they are fundamentally different. I'm sure that you know that men and women are different. Like, I, I hope that's not a thing. I know in our culture, we try to— we, we, what, what happens in our culture is they try to, to level all of these gender things and say, well, there's really no fundamental difference between men and women. But we know there is a fundamental difference, not just in our physical makeup, but there's a fundamental difference in the way that we are, in our personalities, in our desires. And it's when together that we most clearly represent the image of God. And it's when we're together that, that we— show the unity of God. And so there is a great plan that God has for marriage that goes beyond just our satisfaction here on this earth. Our satisfaction here on this earth is important, but God has a plan that goes beyond that. Take a look at what Paul says in in Ephesians 5. Okay, he's talking to to men here, but this is in the context of teaching everybody about marriage. He says, men, you're to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And here's, here's the thing here. This is how much Christ loves the church. Right, and marriage is supposed to be a picture of the way that Christ loves the church. So here's how Christ loves the church. He gave up his life for her. Christ died for the church. Right? That's how much Jesus loves the church is he died for the church and in doing so he made her holy and clean. Washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this so that he could present the church back to himself as a glorious spotless bride without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish instead she will be holy and without fault this is this grand moment right so so your marriage your individual marriage is actually about more than just you the marriages of the church are about more than just those people the reason this matters for all of us is because It all is a representation of us as the body of Christ. Christ loves the church. It's a picture of marriage. And so here's what we need to understand. It's that moment, right? Pure, spotless, without defect or wrinkle or blemish. Instead, holy and without fault. You know that moment in a wedding, right? When everybody sees the bride, That moment in a wedding when everybody sees the bride, that's the moment, right? When you stop and you turn and you look, that's the moment. That's what it's like when the world sees the church. Your marriage is supposed to look like that to other people, not Christians that are looking at your marriage. Your marriage is supposed to look like that, that glorious, that awesome, that spectacular. Who's been to a wedding? Been to weddings? You've seen how they work. Right? First thing that happens, you know, people come in, get settled, there's flowers and stuff like that. And then, and, and then you get to this really magical part where uh, the wedding party has come down and they're ready and, and the groom is ready. And then there's flower girls. There's flower girls. Yep, yep, yep. here they come. And, yep, there they are. And they sprinkle the flower petals on the ground, right, to adorn the aisle. Right? This is them. Yep. <laughs> Nailed it. Right? And, and then now that the aisle is adorned, like, the music starts. Right? Starts soft, and it comes in loud. And then the person up here stops, and he says, here's what I want you to do. Please stand for the bride. And everybody stands. And they look for the bride. And as the bride walks down the aisle, some people take pictures, some people cry. But everybody, everybody is moved by the beauty, the purity. The wonder of the bride coming down the aisle. Normally, you'd have somebody to help you with that. But here's the thing, right? You can sit down uh, because then, then I would say, like, who gives her to be married? And moms and dads would say, we do, and then she would officially be presented to her groom-to-be, and, and we'd have this moment. But, but here's the thing. It's the moment when, when Megan walks down the aisle that we stand and we turn and we awe, right? We awe at the majesty of this person, not in who they were, but in who they're becoming in that moment, right? That's what—listen to me. I know this is a hard metaphor for us to understand, but that's what people are supposed to see when they look at Christian marriages— They're supposed to see that. The beauty and wonder, not of who we were, but who we're becoming in Christ, because this is the way that Christ loves the church, and it's this great mystery, right? That he loves the church, and he and the church are one, and he is the bridegroom. Our marriages matter. Let's give Megan a hand. She was a good sport. Here's the deal. You can't see on camera, but she's walking and waving. (laughs) But here's the deal, right? That's what people are supposed to see when they look at our marriages. The problem is that a lot of our marriages are jacked up. And when they look at our marriages, they don't see that with awe and wonder and beauty. Right? They don't see a glorious bride without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Holy and without fault. And that's because our marriages are under attack. They're under attack for, for, for one simple reason. And that reason is sin, and it's exacerbated by Satan. See, so remember in the garden, Genesis 2, he, he says it's not good for man to be alone. He's not making man a buddy, but he's making man his other half to complete him. And it's the woman. And, and the man says, at last, this one is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is why I, a man will leave his mother and father, and the two will be united, and they'll become one. This beautiful picture of the way that Christ and the church are one. Right? And, and because there's a completion, what that means is they are fundamentally different. Men see things this way. Women see things this way. We are fundamentally different. Right? You think about my own kids. I'll pay you all five bucks. Here's the deal. When Travis was young, he was always in a superhero costume, fighting crime. Spider-Man was his favorite, but he had them all. There was Batman, right? There was Superman. There was Buzz Lightyear. Actually, Buzz Lightyear was his favorite. Space Ranger. Ask him later about the time he tried to fly down the stairs. I think I've told you before. P.S. He can't fly. Can't even fall with style. If you've seen the show Right? Riley never dressed up as superheroes I, I don't think um, but, but she did a lot of makeup tutorials She's so always messing with makeup Recording it, talking into the camera Telling people how to apply All of the stuff It was her very brief career As a YouTube model Right? Aubrey was always wanting to cook in the kitchen, and she was wanting to do art, and she doesn't now so much, but when she was younger, it was dresses. If she couldn't wear a dress because it was cold, darn it, she'd put it on over her jeans because a dress was critical. Boys and girls are different. Boys and girls are different. Emerson Egr- Egrich from, from the book Love and Respect, he says it this way. It's like like um, men have blue hearing aids and blue tinted glasses, and see things from a male point of view. Women have pink hearing aids and pink tinted glasses, and they are always going to see things from a female perspective. That's not rocket science, because they were created differently, differently so that they could complete one another, so that they could, when they come together, make a whole. And then sin happened. And that beautiful symbiotic relationship of being different but complementary because of sin, all of a sudden that got jacked up. And because marriage is supposed to be a beautiful picture of the way that Christ loves the church and the way that Christ and the church are one, guess what? Satan wants to take the areas where it's cracked, where it's one, and he wants to break it apart. So we are at war with our marriage, not with one another, but with Satan. Satan pointed the wrong way. Satan. We're at war, right? And because of that, we don't always see eye to eye, and Satan loves to wiggle in there and create division and cause havoc. Look, look at this comic. This will just tell us a little bit, if you can see it. Um, it's, it's this woman talking to her boyfriend and her friend, and she says, man, this scarf is so cute. So is this bag. And then she says, it's so much cuter than these gift cards. Right? And then the buddy says to the boyfriend, like, hey, man, did you pick up on that? And the boyfriend's like, yes, I did. Sets a reminder in his phone, buy Sarah a cute gift card. See, the women get it. You're all chuckling because you're like, yeah, that's dumb. She doesn't want a gift card. She wants a cute present. The men are like, what? That makes perfect sense to me. Buy her a cute gift card because, listen, your glasses are weird. She doesn't want a gift card. She wants something a little more personal. Here's the thing. We just, we don't always see things the same way because sin is in the world and and it starts to fracture the ways that we're different. Instead of completing and, and bringing us together, it starts to cause division and pull us apart. And Satan wants to help the process because he hates marriage, because marriage is a picture of the way that Christ loves the church. This matters. Okay? So we're going to talk a little bit about how to, how to dig into this. Look at Ephesians 5. If you've got your Bibles handy, flip there. Um, otherwise, you can follow along on the screen. We're going to look at three verses, and we're really going to drill down on the last one. But as the Scriptures say, this is Paul talking, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Right? That's from Genesis. That's what Adam said when he saw Eve. At last, this one, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is why a man leaves his father and mother. So Paul's reminding us. He says, and this is a great mystery. Marriage is a great mystery. Like that, we get that. Marriage is a great mystery, but he says, but here's the answer to the mystery. Paul says, I'm going to tell you. It's meant to be an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. It's meant to be this grand picture. So again, I say this, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And that one little verse, 33, we're going to drill down. Each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Listen, this is, it's not an easy thing. It sounds easy. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to love my wife. Oh yeah, she's supposed to respect me. That sounds so simple. But listen to me, it's difficult because, it's difficult because we're different. Well, we're different by design because we were supposed to complete one another. But because we live in a sinful, broken world and Satan sucks, he takes those differences and, and, and he starts to try to drive wedges in because of those differences. And so the idea of loving your, 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 your wife and respecting your husband all of a sudden becomes more problematic than it was ever intended to be. And so Paul's saying this as, as a kind of correction. He's saying, look, men, you are to love your wife. Just like you love yourself. You know who I really love? Me. I mean, yes, I love you. Aubrey's like, me, and it's true. But I really love myself. Right? I like to take care of myself. I, I, I like, you know, when I want something, I like to have it. I want some alone time, I like to have some alone time. I, I want a pizza, I like to have a pizza. It's time for me to to go to sleep. Then it's time to—you know what? When it's time to figure out what we watch on TV, I'm going to go ahead and have a say in what we watch because I want to watch what I like to watch, right? Like, I like to make sure that my own needs—we love ourselves in that way, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what Paul's saying here is, look, in marriage, listen, men, husbands, you're supposed to love your wife— as much as you love yourself. In fact, even more so. Right before this, in chapter 5, he says, you love your wives the way Christ loves the church. Well, what did Christ do for the church? He died for her. And so this is the call, husbands, that you have to love your wives in such a way that you would be willing to lay down your life and die for them. And here's, here's where that gets hard. I don't know a husband who wouldn't say, absolutely, I would die for my wife. I would die for my children. Absolutely, I would lay my life down for them. Wives, and, and see, look, like, I'm looking at some of you and you're like, yeah, I'm not convinced. Be convinced. I Trust me. It's the way that God hardwired your men. It's the way that God hardwired us. Is that we would be willing. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to love it, but we would be willing to lay down our lives and die for our wives and our families. The problem is this. In, it's, not, it's the problem. It's actually a really good thing. Yay, America, right? That we aren't put in a position where, husbands, we have to do that on a regular basis. right? First of all, that only happens once right, in a marriage where you would lay your life down for your family. And most of us will live this entire life, and we'll never be called to do that. right? So we can't, we can't just sit back and say, Oh, well, I love my wife the way that Christ loves the church. I am willing to die for her. And if that situation ever comes up, I will do it. That's not really good enough, right? Because now what we're called to do then is we're called to demonstrate that kind of loving commitment in the every single day. You're supposed to love your wife so much that, she, that you would do anything for her, that you would die for her, that you would do this in an every single day. And that's a, that's a tall order. Example I gave in the first service is, is, is this. Like, Like, you have to love your wife when it's uncomfortable and when you really don't want to. How many of you know that we have a cat? Well, now you all know. Her name is Boo. I didn't name her. I don't like cats all that much. You know whose cat I like better than I like my cat? Your cat, because your cat lives at your house. I also have children. I like them better but there's a problem. See, here, here, here's what happens. Boom! because she's a cat, she likes to be in our bedroom. She likes to be in our bedroom while we're trying to sleep um, or whenever. It, it's, she just likes to have eyes on Carrie, right? So when we go to sleep, we have to put her downstairs and shut the door. Because what happens is she'll come to our door and it'll be like 2.30, 3.30 in the morning and she'll start meowing a lot to let her in. And if she doesn't meow, she'll do this thing with her paws where she sticks them under the door and she starts to, like, try to pull it open. And that's really loud, too, and it's like the, the door is being blown in the wind. It's just the cat. Some of you are thinking, well, just like the cat more and let the cat into your bedroom. Hmm, because the cat won't just sleep. Cat runs around the bedroom and walks on you and it starts doing this thing on your really chubby parts. <laughs> and some of you are thinking, oh, well, that's just the cat trying to get comfortable. No, 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 that's the cat tenderizing me. Because I'm pretty sure the cat's thinking this through, going, someday he's going to die. Dibs. So the cat goes downstairs. But my children sometimes have friends over, and sometimes they forget when they come upstairs to use the restroom to leave the basement door closed, and the cat gets up anyway. And this morning was one of those days at 3.30 in the morning. The cat was outside of our door, trying to paw under it somehow and it woke me up and I was thinking as I laid there, you know what, in a minute that's going to wake up Carrie I have two choices I I could pretend I don't hear the cat wait for her to wake up and take care of it or I could love her unconditionally and selflessly and get up and take care of the cat myself I'll let you guys figure out what you think happened but this is what we're called to do, right? This is what we're called to do. We're called to love our wives in this unconditional way. Listen, next week we talk about um, sex in marriage. Just a heads up, we're going to be talking about sex and marriage. And, and one of the things we're going to talk about there is one of the ways that we love our wives, the way Christ loved the church, is through loyalty and, and, just, and passion and, and just being able to pour this out. But listen, we've got to love our wives the way that Christ loved the church. It's unconditional Right, and, and, and it's always, and here's the thing Men You would never say this, but just in case you would I'm going to tell you right now, it's a terrible idea You do not reserve loving behavior towards your wife For moments where they're acting in a loving way Right, I mean, you just don't get to do that You don't get to say, "Oh well, my wife isn't really acting very lovely So I'm certainly not going to shower her with unconditional love right now no, no, no Unconditional means always, whether she's acting lovely or not. It's just what we do. It's what we're called to do. That's what Christ did for the church. It's what we're called to do for our wives. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Notice the difference here, right? Like wives uh, are—men are called to love their wives, but wives are called to demonstrate respect to their husbands. And this respect is different, Right? It's not the same love that women crave and require. Respect is something different. And we don't do this very well in our culture. Right? If you go to Hallmark, you're not going to find a whole lot of I respect you cards. There's a whole section of love cards. Right? There's, there's birthday, there's bar mitzvahs, there's communions, there's all kinds of different things. And then you get to this one section that's just love. And it's a whole section of ways that we buy cards for each other that say, here's how much I love you but there is no respect card. It's just not something we're good at in our culture. Because when men say, hey, I I desire to be respected, somehow that feels chauvinistic. It feels chauvinistic to say, you know what, I crave respect. But the reality is that's in you. God gave you that desire to, to crave respect, just like he gave your wife the desire to crave your love. Right? And so this is something that we have to understand, that, that respect for men is just as important as love is for women. It's part of the ways that we see and hear things differently. Right? Women are like, I don't get that. I want to be loved. I, you know, I want to be loved above all else. Well, you've got a pink hearing aids and you've got pink tinted glasses. But husbands, men, we, we have a desire for it differently. We want to be competent. Right? We want to be respected for who we are. We've got blue hearing aids and, and blue tinted glasses. And so for a healthy marriage, respect is just as important as it is for love. And listen, here's what oftentimes happens when I, when I meet people for counseling, for couples counseling or whatever. Like, we would never say love should be earned. But we don't mind thinking that respect should be earned. In fact, it's, it's common in our culture to think this way. Well, if you want respect, what do we tell them? You have to earn respect. That's problematic It's problematic That's not the way this is supposed to work Right? In a marriage, men need to be respected Even if they're not acting in a respectable manner in every way Just like women need to be loved Even if they're not acting in a lovely manner in every way This is the way that we're supposed to be with one another This is how this is supposed to work there was a survey. there's about 400 men uh, across, you know, across demographics. It's a, it a pretty decent survey. 400 people, and and the question was, hey, in a marriage or in your life, would you rather feel unloved and unwanted, or would you rather feel disrespected? Right. So when women are answering that question, they're almost always saying, well, you know what? I would rather feel not respected instead of unloved and unwanted. But when you ask men that question, 75% of men, three out of every four men said, I would much rather feel unloved than disrespected. Because respect is that critically important. And, you, and, and the same men were asked, like, like, hey, when you're having a conflict with your spouse or your significant other, are you more likely in that conflict to feel like they don't love you? Or are you more likely to feel like they don't respect you? 82% said that when there's a conflict, they feel like their wife doesn't respect them. Whereas wives are are, are more typically opposite because we see and hear things and process things differently, but all of this matters. And what happens, um, if we talk about like, like a... Emerson Egrich, again, in, in his, his work, Love and Respect, uh, which it's a great book. It, it's a good, it's, it's a requirement when I do marriage counseling or premarital counseling, and, and you can watch it on right now. Uh, but one of the things that's true is that we get stuck in what we call the crazy cycle, something he teaches that, that's, that's worth understanding. Because what happens is this is circular. This feeds itself in a marriage. And it doesn't do it because we're mean, terrible people. It does it because we we make mistakes. But if we stop looking at each other as the enemy and we start understanding that, that we're both trying hard, we're just not pulling it off, we understand how the crazy cycle can work, right? So so let's start at the top just because it's just a random place to start. But without love, like if a woman does not feel loved, then she's gonna react in a way that feels disrespectful to a man and Because he feels disrespected, he's more likely to react in a way that's not loving. Here's an easy example, right? When there is a conflict between a husband and wife, um, more often than not, um, a wife wants to deal with it and and put it on the table and let's talk about it. Let's keep it out front. Let's work our way through it. Because for her, if you don't want to talk about the problem, that's not very loving, right? Let's work through it and love each other and really dig in. And so that happens. But But here's the thing For men that's not always the case Right And and so what happens is They don't necessarily want to deal with it And so they kind of pull back right now And say you know what I need to think about it Let's talk about it later But when they pull back That feels unloving And so sometimes here's what happens There's the nagging I don't know if you know this But sometimes Sometimes Wives nag Not very often Never at my house But occasionally it can happen where wives will dig in. Well, they're not doing that to be mean, but what they're doing is they're saying, look, 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 our marriage is so critically important. We have got to deal with this. And so what happens is there's this push and it feels disrespectful. And so men pull back and say, oh, time out. This isn't going well. And they withdraw, but the withdrawal feels unloving. And so there's the pushing in more and we get this pulling apart and around and around and around we go because we're stuck in this cycle. And it's not because anybody's doing anything inherently bad, right? But it's because we're not speaking the same language. Right? But the opposite can be true too. When you act in a way that's loving towards your wives, then they are more likely to act in a way that's respectful. And if you act in a way that's respectful towards your your wives, they're more likely to act in a way um, that's loving. And so we we see this cycle goes both ways. My encouragement to you— right, is to work hard at this in your relationships. Say something like this. Now, listen, I know some of you are thinking, okay, Matt, it's not that simple. And you're right, it's not that simple. It's not like if you just act in a respectful way that your husband will automatically be more loving. No, 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 this is a matter of process that takes time and you need to get good at it. And so something you might say, right, Egrich teaches this, something you might say is like, hey, wow, that felt unloving to me. I wonder if you feel disrespected. And if so, how can I be more respectful? And just asking the question. Or or, or wives asking the question, you know what, man, that that really felt, um, or husbands saying, that really felt disrespectful to me. I'm wondering if you're not feeling loved, and how can I be more loving? And if we can ask those questions, then we can start to kind of decode a little bit. Instead, what happens is we keep invisible ledgers, we keep score. And, and you're going to look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about, but listen to me. If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You keep score. You're like, yeah, well, maybe I was mean today, but she was mean six times in the last two days, and so she's worse than I am, so she's the one that should apologize to me. Right? Or in my house, it's like I know that finally I'd had enough and I said something disrespectful, but that guy has been nothing but unloving and harsh for two weeks, and so I feel like it's on him to, to make the first move. We keep ledgers. The problem with keeping a ledger is that it doesn't work, and it, all it does is create more division in your marriage instead of continue to pull you together. So my encouragement to you is this. If you recognize that you're keeping score, if you recognize that you feel badly about your marriage, then you be the one to say first, hey— I feel this way, so I'm wondering if I'm coming across in a way that isn't right. And can I apologize for that, and can we fix that? And, and it's hard to do, but when, when it works, right, we can get our marriages back to where they want to be so that we're presenting ourselves as pure spotless. When people look at us, they say, yes, that's a great picture of the way Christ and the church are one, not looking at us going, man, they need to divorce, because sometimes that's what people see when they see our marriages. They look at our marriages and they say, man, those guys would be much happier if they were separate. But, but here's the deal. You're not supposed to be happy or separate. You're not supposed to be happy or separate. You are actually God's gift to your spouse. That, I mean, if you think about it this way, that's what you are. I told first service that that's what they should do every morning. That you should wake up in the morning. You should get out of bed. You should stretch. You should wake up your wife and you should look at her and you should say, hey, I am God's gift to you. And then I said, I was just kidding. Don't do that. But it's true. And we have no problem believing that's true when we think about Adam and Eve in the garden. Right? God says to Adam, it's not good that he's alone. I should make him His other half, his helper, someone that's like him so that together they would be unique. And he does. He takes the rib, he forms the woman, and Adam says, At last, that one is mine. That's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. We are perfect. We have no problem seeing Eve as a gift from God to Adam. And no problem seeing Adam as a gift from God to Eve. But when we think about our relationships— We struggle to see it that way. But men, your wife is a gift from God to you. Always. Not just when you write a birthday card. Right? Always. She is a gift from God to you. Wives, your husband is a gift from God to you. Always. That's just the way that it is. God loves you and he intends to show you how much through your spouse at times. You're a gift from God that way. That's why how we treat each other really matters. That's why we have to really dig in on this. And and in fact, Peter talks about this. Um, In in 1 Peter 3, this whole chunk of Scripture, he's talking about um, ways that that we can influence people for Jesus, influence them in the right way. And he starts talking to wives, and he says, wives, here's the deal. You must accept the authority of your husbands. I'm going to pause here for a second, and I'm going to say that yes, it's true. The Bible teaches, to be clear, equality in marriage. Husbands and wives, men and women are equal in marriage. However, the Bible does teach role distinction in marriage. It's not a a matter of being equal or not being equal, but the Bible does teach role distinction. Our roles in marriage are not supposed to be the same. We're equal, but our roles are different. And, And... we read all through Scripture that husbands are to be the head of the household, right? That's not saying husbands are better. They're equal. It's saying they have a different role, right? That that's the way that God has ordained it, okay? Um, so here's what Peter says. Uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, wives, accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey God's word, the good news, the gospel, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. And they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. So here's a couple things here. The way that you treat your husbands matters, right? Accepting the authority of your husbands. There's a a, a part there about respect, right? And some of you are thinking, but Matt, my my husband's not respectable. I mean, I've had this conversation with folks in my office. My husband is not respectable. Listen, there is something about your husband— The man who would die for you and your family. There is something about your husband that garners respect. It's not saying that I agree with everything you do. Listen to me. I've even said this. There are times in a marriage where husbands and wives need to separate. There may be times in a marriage where where a wife might decide because of some things that her husband is doing that she needs to leave the home. Even in that instance... There are things to show respect in a marriage. Your wife, wives must accept the authority of their husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, because people will refuse at times, your godly lives will speak to them without any words, and they may be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Part of this is your influence, your ability to influence your husbands by living and being respectful. and and honoring God with your marriage, even when it's hard. You might be able to win your husbands. And notice it doesn't say by trying to convince them. It says without words. Can I give you a little advice? Please, please, please. You are not your husband's Holy Spirit. Right? It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict and encourage and correct and rebuke. It's not necessarily a wife's role. There are times for that conversation and discussion, but, but be careful here. Be careful. This is true in any way. Husbands, it's the same thing. You are not your wife's Holy Spirit, right? Please don't act like that because all that does is drive a wedge. But instead, this says, no, 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 no. By, by being gentle, right, with your behavior and, and, and the way that you are, your godliness, you could win them over just by the way that you live your life. And husbands, here's the deal. In the same way, you husbands, the way you treat your wives matter. Give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should. Now I want to be clear what that means. She may be weaker than you. Uh, the King James, the NIV, they, they actually translate that as the weaker sex. But when the, the word weaker gets confusing there right it's not weak like like oh she's not as strong as you right that word weak here's what here's what i want you to think about tenderness she is more tender hearted than you right and because of that she's more fragile right it doesn't mean she can't beat you up maybe she can Maybe she can beat you. Maybe she can take you. That's not the point. The point is, emotionally, she is more tender than you. She is more fragile than you. Doesn't that make sense? Wives are more tender-hearted than husbands. Women are more tender-hearted than men. Think about your own families. When your kids were sick in the middle of the night, who were they typically calling for? Typically, I mean, sometimes it's different, but typically they ain't calling for dad to tell them to suck it up, rub some dirt on it, and get back to bed. They're calling for mom to nurture, to come alongside, to lay down in bed with. Right? They have a bad dream. Who are they calling? Bad dream, they're calling dad. Why? Because I'm scared of something, and I, dad, I think you can take it. Right? There's a difference, though right? The things that make our wives exceptional at being just right for us, right? God didn't make Adam in the garden. He said, it's not right for man to be alone. He didn't make him a buddy. He made him the other half. With all of the qualities and characteristics that Adam didn't have in spades, Eve has in spades. That makes her more tender-hearted, And so God says, listen, she is more tender-hearted, so treat her like she's more tender-hearted. Don't treat her like you treat a buddy. Don't treat her like they treat you. Treat her as more vulnerable and tender-hearted than you are. What the word translates as weaker. Think of as value. Value. We always talk about it like it's bowls, right? Like in your cupboard, you have like these everyday bowls. They're plastic or they're that corningware or whatever. You could throw them on the ground and they wouldn't break. Those are the everyday ones. You can be rough and tumble with those. It doesn't matter. But listen, the good china, that stays in the china cabinet and it only comes out on special occasions and we treat it with special care. It's more valuable and it's more fragile. So we treat it differently. Right? And God's so clear here. It's not a matter of good or bad or lesser or more. She is your equal partner in God's gift of new life, but she's vulnerable. She's tender-hearted, and so treat her well. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. I got to be honest with you. This is this has not always been my strong suit in our marriage, right? But it's what God calls us to, and it's something to strive for. Tender-hearted treat as you should, so your prayers aren't hindered. The last thing to know there, and this is true for women as well, but, but there seems to be something here clear in Scripture, that the way that you treat your spouse has a direct impact on your relationship with God. If you treat your spouse poorly, that will undoubtedly, because we know that the Word of God is true, that will undoubtedly hinder your relationship with God. When you treat your spouse well, that will be a benefit to your relationship with God. And it will paint this awesome picture to the watching world about the way that Christ loves the church. Your marriage matters. The way you treat each other matters. Not just for your joy, your happiness, but it it matters to paint this grand picture to a watching world. And that's why, listen, in the church, in this family, when somebody comes to you and they have questions or concerns or complaints about their marriage, I want to encourage you. Listen to them, love them, encourage them, but remind them of their responsibilities in the marriage. Remind them to demonstrate love the way that Christ loved the church. Guys, don't just, don't just jump in the, the, the bagging on a spouse. When somebody comes to you to complain about their wife, don't just jump in there. Listen, but encourage about the ways to demonstrate love the way that Jesus loves, because that's what we're called to do. Wives, when, when somebody comes to you to, to complain and, and, and vent about their husband, that's fine. Listen, but, but also remind them of the responsibility to, to, to show respect. And how by showing respect, that might win someone, not push them away. Like these are responsibilities we have for one another too. It's one of the first things I ask people when they come in for serious marital counseling is, who is telling you the truth? Because most times when you, when you just go to a buddy to complain about your, your wife, he just jumps in with you, you know, just bags on her with you. Or you go to a, a, a girlfriend to complain about your husband, she just piles on. But no, you've got to be intentional. Who's telling you the truth? You've got to have people. If you're struggling in your marriage, you've got to have people that are going to tell you the truth. Sometimes that means counseling. So I'd encourage you in that too, that sometimes counseling is necessary. Because this can be hard. Right? Because sin has fractured what was awesome, and then Satan wants to hurt it even further because it's supposed to paint this picture the way the Christ and the church are one. All of this matters. Okay? And it matters, right? Um, You've got your communion cups on your seat. Here's the thing I want you to know is we're going to get ready to take communion together and close the service. Um, Here's the thing. It matters, right? Because this picture that we're supposed to paint of being— Philip, go back to that that first slide in Ephesians. This picture that we're supposed to paint is is of this pure, spotless bride without spot, wrinkle, or any other blemish, being holy and without fault. The reason that our marriages represent that, the reason that we're supposed to paint that picture is because Jesus is saying, that's what I want to make everybody— like, like our marriages is supposed to be—this is the way that Jesus loves the church, and this is the way that Christ loves the church. He died for the church so that he could accomplish this. And so anybody that's on the outside looking in should be able to look at our marriages and should be able to see a picture of how much Jesus wants to do this for them. I mean, it's a great mystery, but Paul explains the mystery and says this is what it's about. This is what it's about. And so, listen— We have to celebrate who we are in Christ and know that as we do that, that that's the only way that we're going to be able to fix our marriages. The only way that we're going to be able to take our marriages from from bad to better, or better to great, or great to just ridiculously fantastic. That's the only way that we're going to be able to move this, is to lean into who we are in Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, you are good and gracious and kind, and we just love you so much. We thank you for your word. That is so clear. We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross that took all of our blemish, all of our sin, all of our brokenness, that it took it all onto yourself. We thank you for your blood that was poured out to usher us into this new covenant where we can be made right with God and we can have forgiveness of sin and be in a right relationship. And Father, we thank you for the provision of marriage. We know that it's designed for our good. We know that, that it's meant to show us how much you love us, and it's meant to show a watching world the way that Christ loves the church. Help us to walk in that and live that out. We love you, and we praise you. Amen.